Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 134 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hello. And my husband Dylan is the sound recordist. Hello. Oh, it's nice to see everyone today. In a way. In a yeah, way. Yeah, it's really great to see you all. See you with my ears. In our plexiglass cubes. Mm-hmm. 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 I just stare at a computer somewhere in New York City and assume you guys are are out there too. Thus begins Andrew's post-dystopian novel. <laughs> um, so I have been reading a lot. I have to go back to work, you know, my day job. So I've been trying to um, read as much as possible that's fun and not work-related. <laughs> so I read two books since we last talked. So that's four books. Total. Oh, wait, so yep. three books. Well, four, because the book I read for the podcast is two books in one. Look who's um, got the memory palace, the consisting of one room related to Bailey's reading. Good job, Toby. Um, after Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing, I read Notorious RBG. Mm. Um, is that one good? It's I've... so here, people have been saying on Goodreads, and I agree that it's um, five stars for the woman, three stars for the book. Okay. Because the book That's is- That's what I feared. Yeah. Like the woman is, her life is incredible, but the book is just kind of, okay. Like if mm-hmm. you just want a basic info about RBG and some cool infographics, I would recommend it, but it's not, it doesn't get very deep. Okay. And then I read the number one book on the New York Times bestseller list, who knew? James Patterson's Killing the Killer in Kill Land. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, Solutions and Other Problems by Ali Brosh, a.k.a. Hyperbole and Ooh, a Half. Oh, yeah. Um, it's her new book. And I, for those of you who don't know, she does like silly cartoons, but that are often very funny, but then very poignant. She is awesome. And this book talks a lot about like personal tragedy that happened between the release of the last book and this book. Oh. It's pretty intense. But then there's also a lot of chapters about like ridiculous kids living next door that like, <laughs> like there's one girl that lives next door that keeps coming up to her and saying, want to see my room? And she'll say it like every day. <laughs> and I just, I couldn't stop laughing. So does she, does she ever see her room or is that spoilers? I, I don't, I don't <gasps> think I can spoil that oh, for you. Come on. <laughs> in a way that's a spoiler in itself. Yeah. <laughs> but I would definitely recommend that one. And obviously, you know, it's graphic novel-ish, so very quick. Did you read Hyperbole and a Half? Oh, yeah. Mm, I haven't read that one. That's on my list. Oh, you should just borrow them. Hmm, Maybe I'll put it on my official to-read list. You'll read it in a whole hour. (laughs) Yeah, then I'll definitely put it on my to-read list. Yeah, I used to check out the blog when she had a blog, and then it became the book. Um, Highly recommend two thumbs up. Have you guys been doing any bonus reading? I mean, I've started reading Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. I'm really liking it (laughs) so far. Oh, yay! I'm a bit regretting promising that I was going to finish it. It's long. I didn't realize exactly how much I had on my plate in the next few weeks, but I'm going to make it work. Um, But I'm excited. It's really good so far. And I don't want to talk about it because I'm afraid you guys will spoil something. Bailey the Notorious Spoiler. What? Notorious Spoiler. BG? Nope, can't make it work. I, I am definitely a notorious spoiler. I really don't intend to, but then I say things that spoil things. However, Dylan is usually really good about not spoiling stuff. Like mm. when I started watching The Wire and he recalled from years before, based on what season I was at, like what he could say and couldn't say. However, I just watched Cobra Kai and he spoiled a part of Cobra Kai unintentionally. I, oh, that show is so good. It was a cornerstone of the show. It was something I could have picked up on that would have happened, but it was definitely like... A little bit of a spoiler, Dylan. I really struggle with spoilers with my wife only because she never wants things to be spoiled, but she loves to guess. And she's one of those people, I don't know if you know these people who are uncannily good at just kind of like following the plot to its logical conclusion. Mm -hmm. So 
she'll be like, no, don't spoil it to, for me. But she'll like look me straight in the eyes and be like, is this the way it turns out? And I have to just be like, no, it is not. And she, and she always knows. It's very, it's very difficult. Yeah. Um, but outside reading, uh, yeah, I just finished Ken Follett's new book, The oh. Evening and the Morning. Was it long? It was long. It was set in the year 1000. Um, have any of you guys read The Pillars of the Earth? No. Oh, I love Dylan. No. Oh, why do you say it like that? <laughs> um, so The Pillars of the Earth is fantastic. It's about a guy who wants to build a cathedral and like his enemies and how he gets it done. It's one of those like ultimate nerdy books where you're just like, will he get the stones for the chapel? Like, <laughs> and become really invested. So this, uh, The Evening in the Morning, is a prequel to that. It's set even before when they were building cathedrals. And it is... um disappointing oh no yeah i mean when they're good they're really good um and when they're not so great they're not so great which is the deepest thing i've ever said what do you mean that's like the tagline of the show (laughs) that's true sometimes they get the stones sometimes they don't get the stones Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. well that's disappointing um dylan read an extra book dylan got excited about piranesi and dylan arts already read it yeah so toby and i decided to skip the choosing to go rogue and next week on the podcast we're both reading Piranesi, the new Susanna Clark book, which is why Andrew was talking about Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. And we might have a spoiler section in that one. So if you really care about it, I would try to read it ahead of time. It's only 250 pages, which shocked me. So Bailey, what? I'm already done with it too. See, here's the thing. I knew I was going to go really quick. So I've waited because I don't want to forget by the time mm. we record. Yeah. But Dylan has already read it. Yeah. And we're not spoiling it. And we're not spoiling it. Dylan so. and I spoiled it to each other. We texted about it. Oh, yeah. In oh. secret. Well, wasn't I good about not spoiling it for you? <laughs> you were pretty good. Yeah. I will yeah. I will admit that. There you go. I've also been reading Agatha Christie, Death on the Nile to Maggie, our daughter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you'll be prepared for the new movie? Yeah, kind of. Okay. I just we I just had a line around and it's weird because it's. I know we talked about how much we love movie covers on books, but this is the 1970s movie cover on it. With like Faye Dunaway or what? Uh, yeah, like Mia Farrow. And it's like hand drawn. <laughs> so it's like, eh, close enough. That sounds kind of cool, actually. It, it is cool. I forgot how much like dialogue scenes there are. So I was trying to like read it out loud to her like audible style. Mm. And then there would be long scenes where like Hercule Perot will be talking to eight different people. And it's like I have to switch the voices really fast for her. And then after a while, I realized she doesn't understand English. You could say, I can say whatever I want. You are killing her detective career before it even begins, Dylan. Come on. I've had that same thought as I'm reading to her, and sometimes I'll like mess up the words. I'm like, she doesn't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to go past this too much, but you're having a spoiler section on a podcast where I will be there too and will have not read the book. So I will be exiled from the podcast for a time, which I think is very fun. Um, Or you could read it. Yeah, you just toss on your plate. I, I kind of don't think I can read both. Yeah, make it make it an even thousand pages. <laughs> um, I want to have a really random shout out. Last episode, we talked about Bookstagram and the people that you follow on there. I just want to shout out a particularly calming and contemplative and kind of inspirational person we follow on Bookstagram, which is Emily St. John Mandel, mm-hmm. who lives in Canada, appears to have like the most idyllic, beautiful neutral toned life I've ever seen and it looks like still art almost of found objects and she posted a thing yesterday of like a quiet stream reflecting the fall colors and I said you know what Emily St. John Mandel you're killing it (laughs) you get a like yeah you get a you get a little heart for those of you who are trying to dig it out of your mind uh, she's the author of Station Eleven and the new book The Glass Hotel which I'm sure we'll cover at some point in this podcast 
And speaking of bookstagram, you, you know, those rabid fans that follow our Instagram might have noticed that I posted um, a collection of embroidery floss that I put together. I saw this branching out. I, w- I thought I was like, this is pushing the boundaries a little, but I'm thinking, you know, maybe there'll be a crossover in the audience. So there was some enthusiastic response. Well, it took me a week to organize that embroidery floss. You guys need to know that. Mm. And it's organized by color and I'm sure everything's fine in my life. I don't know why you would say that I'm being anxious and like I need something to do with my hands Um, and that I'm doing totally well getting off social media. Um, But yeah, so if you want to see a cool embroidery floss box, you should look at our Instagram and don't question the fact that I haven't done any embroidery recently. Just like look at the pretty. Normally, I would be like, that's the most boring call to action I've ever heard. If you want to see a well-organized, but I think for our audience, that is so fire. No, I would say this is this is fire. I agree. Guess what? This week, Andrew had a book to read. Andrew, what book did you read from your shelf? I read Tales by Amiri Baraka. Tales. Swish, swish, tale. Yep, that kind of tale. Definitely not just the word for short story. <laughs> Especially because Bailey made this bizarre like motion, like her arm was a snake. Weirdly, from across the country, I could tell she was making a hand <laughs> gesture when she said that. So before I dive in, I do want to just place a little caveat out there. I didn't know a lot about Amiri Baraka when I started reading this book. Um, I didn't quite know how complicated and controversial of a figure he is um, or was. Um And I know more now, and I'll leave it to Toby to give folks a a primer on that when we get to the facts. Thanks, Andrew. Cliffhanger. (laughs) But he is also an incredibly influential author in America, and he was also a teacher to a mentor of mine, so I was really excited to engage. So I tried to engage with an open mind, despite there being some controversial elements about him as well. So here's my logline for Tales. Amiri Baraka's Tales, less a book of short stories and more a collection of moments, each section drilling down on the psyche of an individual, a group, or a nation. While it lacks clear story structure and stakes in the traditional sense, it contains flashes of brilliance sprinkled throughout. Though, if the brilliance can shine through the confusion, is always in doubt. Ooh, you're kind of teasing your review there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's hard to write a logline of a book of short stories, so it sort of naturally became a little bit review-teasy. What do you Mm -hmm. mean? Tales swish swish is a great logline. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's uh, dive into some elves, get it started right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so right. Baraka is truly a unique writer. I, I don't know that I've ever read a writer with his style. He really thinks about how it would be read aloud, while at the same time, it's very important how the words are arranged on the page. And that's not something I've experienced a whole lot. Uh, he forgoes traditional grammatical and page structure things to, to make the story what he wants it to be. And I really enjoyed that. And The stories themselves are sort of less stories than they are like landscapes, if Mm. that makes sense, Mm. which is not like an experience I can really point to of having had before in reading a book. And if you're a lover of literature and a lover of sort of strange literature, it might be fun for you to engage with this. Would you say that uh, Amiri Baraka is a fellow conductor on the surrealism train? Maybe. So it's tough because it's not really surrealism. What it is, is more stream of conscious. Okay. So yeah, it's more stream of consciousness style. Um, let me give you an example so you can sort of put some words to what I'm, I'm trying to describe. Imagine you pick up this book, you crack open to the first story, which is called A Chase. And this is the first uh, paragraph you get. Place broken, their faces sat and broke each other. Sons got tired in the heart and left the South. The North years later... She'd wept for him drunk and a man, finally, they must have thought. In the dark, he was even darker. Wooden fingers running, wind so sweet it drank him. Oh, it sounds like it's like poetry. Mm -hmm. 
He is also a poet. Oh, okay. And okay, he's also well. a playwright. He's a multi-hyphenate. Or was. And he has, he has passed away. He was a multi-hyphenate, wrote in a lot of different forms. So, yeah, that is sort of what you're in for. And it's not always that hard to parse what's going on. It's not always that, like, obscured in terms of meaning. But he always has that up his sleeve. So this is a pro for me in terms of being interesting. It's a bit of a con for me in terms of me being able to understand and like engage with the material. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my impression when you read that. So I was like, oof. It's kind of <laughs> interesting that it's called tales, which implies to me plots. But it seems like plots are the most difficult things to discern from the stories. Yeah, I mean, any collection, some stories are better than others. I, this would happen in any collection. I particularly liked the story, The Screamers, uh, which follows the audience of a nightclub as they're sort of taken up with the emotion of expression in the nightclub and they spill out into the streets only to be confronted with how America truly reviews and, and, and treats them. So like they accidentally start or become engulfed in a riot. Mm. It's hard to describe like all the stories in this book, but I particularly liked that one. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. Yeah. And the book as a whole deals with sort of interiority in a really intriguing way. As I sort of said in, in, in the log line, uh, they're primarily like examination of the emotions of humans. And so there are parts of this book that I really liked, um, as I've said, but I would like to move more towards my orcs. So it may be super basic of me, but I wanted stories where I could grab onto narrative more. What? (laughs) This is like, there are probably 15 stories in this book. Two of them, I can tell you exactly what, like, the plot and the points and the events of the story are. And then there are a bunch where I can tell you half, and then there are a chunk where I can't tell you anything. Um, I'd feel different about it if there were one or two of these really experimental ones thrown in. But when it's almost all experimental, it sort of just washes over you, and you, you can't really engage that much. Fair. So it would have been welcome to have a little more plot. When you mentioned that, Andrew, I, it makes me think about, like, um, personally how insecure I used to be as a reader. I think if I had read a book like this, maybe like 10 years ago, I would have been like, it's all me. Like, I'm just the one who does who doesn't get it. Like, these must be amazing. And I'm just an idiot. I think growing up sometimes just being like, you know what? Just not my taste. I want some more plot. Yeah. I mean, I definitely had that emotion. There were some times where I was, I still felt that I was like, I'm just not smart enough for this book. It might not just be my fault. It might be something I just don't particularly like engaging with. Well, and sometimes when I come across short story collections like this, I often think like, man, I wish I had read one of these in like a magazine. It's like a bizarrely flavored candy, right? You're just like, ooh, one of them is pretty good. Yeah, that's a good point. I think I would feel a lot differently more about this if it was, yeah, read in a collection that was not just this author. To go through the rest of my orcs pretty quickly, Toby will talk about this more. He's been accused of anti-Semitism and, and homophobia to the point where I'm. it's not really that hidden and it's not really that in question, even though he, he denies it. Uh, and the controversy does like show its face in the stories. There's a lot of what reads to me as homophobia and anti-Semitism in the book, which is confusing because sometimes like Baraka seems to have a lot of tenderness for his gay subjects in, in the book. But more often than not, it's just like epithet after epithet after epithet. And, you know, part of this book was from 1967. There are different standards to how things were, were spoken about and said, but he was controversial then. To a modern ear, it is very jarring. And, you know, it, it took away from my enjoyment because it felt like a crutch and it, it didn't feel necessary or, you know, coming from a good place all the time. So kind of a bummer. And frankly, like this book kind of felt like work. Like I didn't <laughs> usually didn't really enjoy reading it because mm-hmm. I was worried I wasn't understanding it. Uh, and I really can't claim to understand it. But I mean, there were enough good moments in it or like interesting things that were done in it that I am glad I did read it. 
Hmm. All that said, I really wish half stars were a thing on our podcast. <laughs> this now more than ever. I'm going to give it a two, which I don't know that I've really wow. done before. I mean, it, it is truly a 2.5, but I had enough problems with it and specifically with some of the more problematic elements of it that I couldn't justify in my head putting it on the same level of some books that I've rated three. But it, it it's a 2.5. But I guess for the process of this podcast, it's a two. I think Baraka <laughs> should be engaged with and studied, but I wouldn't recommend like picking up a copy and, and trying to read through all his like collected works in a row. I think it is maybe more of a sometimes food in that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's fair. I also just think it's funny that we constantly go crazy about the half stars and we're the ones who make the rules. We yeah. could change it, but no, I mean- <laughs> well, no good reads. Good reads has done this. That's why I, you know what it is in my mind. It's a bit of a silent protest to good reads to be like enable partial stars <laughs> we will continue to annoyingly mention that we wish we could give things half stars yeah until goodreads fixes it all right toby do you have any facts on this controversial man um yes i do uh similar to andrew i was not aware how controversial this man was until i started doing my research and who boy Uh-oh. i would say i will be stepping very carefully in my research Amiri Baraka was born Everett Leodore Jones on October 7th, 1934, and he died on January 9th, 2014. He was an American writer of poetry, drama, fiction, essays, and music criticism. His career spanned uh, over 50 years. As Andrew mentioned, his poetry and his writing, all of his work have attracted both high praise and severe condemnation. Um, Some people compare him to James Baldwin and recognize him as one of the most respected and most widely published black writers of his generation. Uh, He was born in Newark, New Jersey. He won a scholarship to Rutgers University, but he actually bounced around to Howard University, then Columbia, and then went to the New School for Social Research and eventually never obtained a degree. In 1954, he joined the U.S. Air Force as a gunner, and he reached the rank of sergeant. And this was a decision he would later come to regret because he experienced just a ton of racism. I was just going to say, there's um, also one of the sort of better stories in the book is called Salute. And it's very clearly about his relationship with being an airman and dealing with racism. And that's one of the better ones in here as well. There you go. Um, He later described his experience in the military as, quote, racist, degrading, and intellectually paralyzing, unquote. Um, While he was stationed in Puerto Rico, he worked at the base library, which allowed him ample reading time. And it was in that place where he was inspired by the beat poets back in America, and he began to write poetry. It was during this time that he came into contact with the avant-garde Black Mountain Poets and New York School Poets. Kind of begins a trend that'll go on for the rest of his life where he is just in the cultural center of so many groups and so many massively influential people that it it would be exhaustive to listen to them all. So I will cover some of them, but just know that I'm leaving out a lot. Um, In 1958, he married Hetty Cohen, with whom he had two daughters. Um, He and Hetty founded Totem Press, which published beat poetry, uh, including some famous names like Jack Kerouac and Allen Ginsberg. With his wife and a couple other members of the Greenwich Village beat culture, he founded uh, several short-lived magazines and journals, um, and they all published luminaries of the day. Um, He was editor of The Floating Bear, when in October 1961, the U.S. Postal Service seized The Floating Bear Number 9, and the FBI charged them for obscenity over William Burroughs' piece, Roosevelt After the Inauguration. After the assassination of Malcolm X in 1965, Baraka changed his name from Leroy Jones to Amiri Baraka. This time, he also left his wife and their two children and moved to Harlem, where he founded the Black Arts Repertory Theater School. Um, however, that Barts remained open for less than a year, uh, but in its short time, it uh, attracted many well-known artists, including Sonia Sanchez, Sun Ra, and Albert Ayler. 
Baraka became, over time, a leading advocate and theorist for the burgeoning black art movement during this time. Um, he became what was known as a black cultural nationalist, and he broke away from the predominantly white beat poets and became very critical of the pacifist and integrationist civil rights movement. This is where he starts to court a lot of controversy. He continued for his whole career to produce extremely well-received and extremely controversial work all the way up to his death in 2014. He was a strong voice and supporter of the black arts movement. They had slogans such as, we want poems that kill, which coincided with the rise of armed self-defense, and slogans such as, arm yourself or harm yourself, that promoted confrontation with the white power structure. Um, I don't really want to go into the details, um, but when Andrew mentioned that he had anti-Semitic and homophobic views, um, it's not really ambiguous. He, to, short to say, these accusations are well, well, well founded, um, and some of the stuff he said was truly shocking. An interesting critic of his um, named Richard Oyama um, criticized Baraka's militant aesthetic, writing that Baraka's career, quote, came to represent a cautionary tale of the worst tendencies of the 1960s, the alienating rejections, the fanatical self-righteousness, the impulse towards separatism and Stalinist repression versus multiracial class coalition building. In the end, Baraka's work suffered because he preferred ideology over art, forgetting that the latter outlasts us all." End quote. Oh, and I'll, lastly, I'll just close that on the positive side of the scale, um, he's credited to extending throughout the publishing world with opening doors in white publishing houses which black authors previously had been unable to access. Uh, NPR's obituary mentioned that, quote, throughout his life, the black arts movement never stopped. Okay. So interesting person, very controversial. Um, and his um, yeah. his son is now the mayor of Newark, New Jersey. Oh, oh did not know that. No, it's uh, Roz Baraka. He spent a lot of his life there. Uh, he was born there and I think also died there. What an interesting person. Yeah, I will pull on Andrew right now and say that when I did the research on him, which I did first, I was like, oh, here's the interesting one. And Sue Townsend will be like the popular author with not much. Her life, just as interesting. Not quite as controversial, but lots there as well. Tease, tease, tease. Was he also in the Black Power Movement in the 1960s? Yes, absolutely. Good old Sue Townsend of the UK. All right. So that's Tales by Amiri Baraka, 2.5 stars. And I should say I am keeping it on my shelf only because it does belong to my father and I need to return it to him someday. Would you say this book was more stales than tales? How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, guess what? Check it. Check it. Wait, 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 wait. Bailey? Yeah. Did you also read a book? You know it. I think she's lying. (laughs) I, you know what? I am lying because I read two books. I saw that one coming from <laughs> the horizon. <laughs> so since you guys have been doing these very like um, literary log lines that read like the backs of the books, I'm going to embark on a new thing, which <gasps> is called haiku log lines. Oh, okay. Haikog lines. Ah, oh, so good. Haikog line. All right. Adrian Mole is recording his 13th year. Oh, wow. The ennui. Mm. Golf clap, golf, golf clap. clap, golf clap. So I read the Adrian Mole Diaries by Sue Townsend. Um, this is a collection of the first two books in the Adrian Mole series. The first book is called The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole, Age 13 and Three Quarters. And the second one is The Growing Pains of Adrian Mole. And they're each like 130, 140 pages. So it's pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And like I said, very clearly in my haiku, 
it's a diary um, where Adrian, who's 13 and three quarters, writes about every day in his life. And he's growing up in England in the 1980s in the midst of, you know, Margaret Thatcher and rising unemployment and all of these social issues. But he's just concerned about pimples and girls and this sort of thing. And he is an aspiring intellectual, but he's 13. So, (laughs) (laughs) which leads to a lot of the humor. And if you're reading it as a 13 year old, you might not pick up on it because you too, like Adrian, will so be in your head about like taking yourself very seriously. But as an adult reading it, you can kind of pick it up. Like on a Tuesday, he'll be like, picked up War and Peace from the library. And the next day, he'll be like, finished it. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, hmm. It's fun to hear him come up with these crazy ideas and just laughing in the back of your head. Adrian, what are you up to now? Like, (laughs) His goal is to get a poetry hour on the BBC of his poetry. So he will send his poems every time he (laughs) writes them to this guy at the BBC who just replies like, please stop sending me these. So it it can be really funny. Sue Townsend has a great sense of her voice, of her character. And I'm going to give you a sense of that. This is page 28. Hopefully I can read it better. I haven't practiced reading it, so we'll see. Accent, please. Should I do a British accent? Yes, do it. Yes, yes. I feel like your wife will never speak to me again. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. She wouldn't care, but all right. You know what? Do it whatever way you feel. Look inside your heart. Yeah. And think if you really want to listen back to this when it's released with a British accent. (laughs) Do Uh, it. Thursday, March 12th. (laughs) Woke up this morning to find my face covered in huge red spots. My mother said they were caused by nerves, but I'm still convinced that my diet is inadequate. We have been eating a lot of boil-in-the-bag stuff lately. Perhaps I'm allergic to plastic. My mother rang Dr. Gray's receptionist to make an appointment, but the earliest he can see me is next Monday. For all he knows, I could have Lassa fever and be spreading it all around the district. I told my mother to say that I was an emergency case, but she said I was, quote, overreacting as usual. She said a few spots didn't mean I was dying. I couldn't believe it when she said she was going to work as usual. Surely her child should come before her job. I like this book. <laughs> <laughs> How was that accent? More Australian? No, uh, it, it kind of flickered back and forth. <laughs> so y- you can get a sense of the voice. It, it's funny and it's fun to get into his head. With that said, you know, after 300 pages, it can get a bit like, you know, it, imagine talking to a 13 year old for the equivalent of 300 pages. After a while, you might need a little bit of a break. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Another thing that I liked about it was in the background, there's some very serious things happening that you can pick up by reading between the lines and also a little bit by knowing the history. So there's personal things going on in Adrian's life, like his parents are going through a separation. At one point, his mother gets pregnant, even though she's already had a 13-year-old and doesn't necessarily want to keep the baby. And Adrian has no clue, but but the way he describes things like you as the reader pick up on it. But then a lot of the Thatcher era stuff comes in. Like they talk a lot about politics and about the father losing his job and people living on the dole and trying to make it work. It's interesting the combination between funny stories about pimples and serious sort of scary consequences that could happen. The dole is what they used to call the Thames River. Really? No. Oh. Uh, I, I would have believed you. I did not know that. <laughs> also, isn't it Thames? <gasps> oh, my God. You're absolutely right. That's something your wife won't forgive you for. Can I just say it again? Yeah. Nope. <laughs> nope. No, he, no. You can say it again. We're keeping uh, that in. The dole is what, for anyone who's n- unaware of what that term means, it just means welfare in England. Yeah. So those are all the elves. In terms of orcs, I don't think it's as similar as Amiri Baraka. I don't think it's to the extent of Amiri Baraka, but... It does feel of a product of its time, of the 80s. There's a lot of homophobic slurs that are tossed around. And also, 
this is sort of, I guess, like a content warning. Nothing happens that's bad, but it seems like the family dog is in peril a lot of the time because nobody's paying attention to it and taking care of it. And that stressed me out reading it. So just so you know, if you're worried about animal welfare, perhaps you won't like that. (laughs) Also, on the one hand, when I understood a reference to the history, I really liked it. But most of the time, I didn't necessarily understand what was happening. And, you know, maybe, Toby, your wife would get it more. There were some words and figures that I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. And they have a um, reference guide in the back of the book, but he only goes through, like, the first half and is like, I'm tired of writing this. Ooh, you can look it up. And that's like, hilarious, though. Yeah, yeah. I really love that. <laughs> that feels like such a perfect thing that, like, an overly intellectual 13-year-old would do is, like, start a glossary. But not finish. <laughs> and not finish it. <laughs> Sometimes I was like, ah, I don't really know. I'm, I don't feel like looking that up. Um The biggest thing is that there is a lack of structure. It's kind of just like each book takes maybe a year and a half out of his life and it just kind of starts and then just ends and the next book starts literally the next day in the diary Hmm. and there isn't really, you know, any kind of clear plot structure. So that might not be your thing. This is a bit of a random question. I feel like we might have covered it before, but Bailey, did you have a diary or a journal when you were a teenager? (sighs) So that's a no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I kept, I started writing a diary when I was 15. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, I stopped writing in it when I met Dylan because I was afraid that Dylan was going to read it. (laughs) Wowzers. I bought you a diary. Yep, I know, but I, I, yep. Is that the diary you gave her that has like a combination on the lock, but you said don't change the combination on this lock? (laughs) Whatever you do, don't change the combination or anything, but also leave in place where I can easily find. (laughs) Well, I was really into, and this actually leads to my next point, I was really into the Angus Thongs and Full Frontal Snogging series by Louise Mm -hmm. Renison, which feels, I don't know, maybe Toby knows, entirely inspired by this Adrian Mole, but it's just like sort of the girl version. Mm. Um, So if you were to read my diary, listeners, none of you will read my diary, but if you were to to read the- (laughs) That's a Patreon level that we haven't uh, created yet. (laughs) But if you were to read like the 15-year-old, like freshman year of high school one, it's very much written like with Adrian Mole, as if somebody is going to read it. Yep. Yep. As if like, ha, I'm so funny. I'm so smart. That's so funny. You said it started around, around 15. I think I probably started my journal. It wasn't a diary. It was a very manly journal. Uh, and I started it um, probably when I was like, yeah, 15, 14. And I did it a lot until probably graduating from college. Yeah. I ended up probably like 12 or 13 handwritten notebooks. I have the same thing. So I have a question for you, Toby. What do you do with them? Because I have a fear of like suddenly dying and somebody reading all my diaries. Me. I'll, I would read the diaries. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I keep them in a box at home. Um, and every once in a while, I go through and read random stuff in them, Me which too. is really and then entertaining. It. No, I, I kind of enjoy it okay. because sometimes I'll detail things that are so minute and I treat them like it's the end of the world yes. in that context, but I just don't remember what happens. Yes. So it's so cool to be like, oh, well, here's this problem that Toby's gotten himself into. Like, as an adult, I can see that the solution is, oh, no. <laughs> oh, what are you doing? But it's more like funny. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I, I guess I should think about it that way. Andrew, yeah. did you have a diary? Journal. No, I remember everything that's happened to me and I don't need to write it down. I don't believe you. Yeah, that means he has like the most detailed diary of us all. <laughs> I'm going to find that diary. Uh, no, I, genuinely, I have like tried doing it before. I have notebooks and stuff, but I, I 
don't actually do any formal journaling. You need to really up your level of self-obsession. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all this to say, I think my understanding is that this book in this series is kind of more famous in England and there are people who really love it. I understand that there's a lot of sequels. It's not my favorite diary series. <laughs> I would do a different one, but it was fun. It was fun, so I gave it three stars. What do you say? It's not your cup of tea? Ooh. Listeners at home, tea is a is a drink often. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, three stars. Um, keep it on my shelf. I don't know. I might pass this one on. I feel like someone else might enjoy it better more than me. So yeah, you just want to find a British thirteen year old to give it to? <laughs> yes, in the eighties specifically. Yeah, but uh, Toby, I'm very curious to hear your facts about Sue Townsend that you so wonderfully uh, teased. teased. Um, yes, well, I'm glad you want to hear them because I have them. Um, so, Sue Townsend. Sue Lillian Townsend, born on the 2nd of April, 1946, and she died on the 10th of April, 2014. Oh, same year as Amiri Baraka. She enjoyed great success in the 1980s. Uh, at the time, her Adrian Mole books sold more copies than any other work of fiction in Britain during the decade. The series eventually uh, encompassed nine books. And would you be surprised, Bailey, to know that the books actually take him from when he's 13 and three quarters all the way to his middle age? Whoa. Yeah, I thought that was bizarre. That is weird. I wonder what his voice is like, if it's the same. Yeah. yeah. It's such an interesting idea. Like, I don't think I've ever heard of a series like that that starts as basically YA and then takes the character all the way through adulthood. It must just grow with the audience. Like as the audience grows up, they get more. Yeah. Okay. It starts as YA and ends as A. <laughs> Thank you, Dylan. It's like Boyhood the book. Yeah. <laughs> um, she wrote another book called The Queen and I, which was very well received. Both the earliest Adrian Mole book and The Queen and I were adapted for the stage and enjoyed very successful runs in the West End. For all you at home, the West End is like Broadway, but in England. <laughs> it's like the East End, but on the other side. Uh, Townsend was born at Maternity Hospital in Causeway Lane, Leicester, um, the oldest of three sisters. Her father worked at a factory making jet engines before becoming a postman, um, and her mother worked in a factory canteen. Um, She was not privileged growing up, and she actually remained um, extremely poor uh, well into her 30s when she began to have some success in the literary world. Um, Trigger warning, wild stuff. Um, During her childhood, while up a tree playing with her peers, she witnessed the murder of a fellow schoolgirl. What? But at the time, she and her playmates were not believed when they tried to report it to the police. Oh, my goodness. The murder was committed by Joseph Christopher Reynolds, and he was hanged. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. I was not expecting this turn. (laughs) Neither was I. Uh, She left school at the age of 14 and worked in a variety of jobs, including a packer for bird's eye. She worked at a petrol station. That's a gas station, guys. Um, And she also worked as a receptionist. Um, So she married Keith Townsend, who was a sheet metal worker. They had three children together, all of whom were under five years old by the time Townsend was 23 years old. In 1971, the marriage ended and she became a single parent. In this position, she endured considerable hardship. Uh, in Mr. Bevan's Dream, Why Britain Needs Its Welfare State, published in 1989, she recounts an experience from when her eldest child was five. Because the Department of Social Security was unable to give her even 50p to tide them over, she was obliged to feed herself and her children on a tin of peas and an oxo cube as an evening meal. Mm. An oxo cube is like bouillon. There's similar stuff in Adrian Mole, but he's just, again, obsessing about the girl in his class. 
Um, she eventually remarried, um, and her new partner uh, encouraged her to join a writer's group at the Phoenix Theater in Leicester when she was in her early 30s. Initially, she was too shy to even speak, and she did not write anything for six weeks, but then was given a fortnight to write a play. This became the 30-minute drama Wombarang, and it was set in the waiting room of a gynecology department. She wrote a fair amount of plays and had decent success. She was mentored by several prominent members of the theater community on her way up. The first two published stories in the Adrian Mole series uh, appeared in a magazine, and at that time the character was called Nigel Mole. Eventually it grabbed the attention of someone who worked at BBC Radio Drama. The character first came to national awareness in a single radio play, The Diary of Nigel Mole, aged 13 and one quarter. Ooh. Adrian's best friend is Nigel in the book. <gasps> so they had to change the name because the name sounded too much like Nigel Molesworth, who is a schoolboy character created by Ronald Searle and Jeffrey Williams. I don't know who they are. Maybe if you're British, you know yeah. who they are. Um, so, yeah, she was uh, eventually quite political. She, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, maybe less controversial than uh, Amiri Baraka. Um, but like many um, Britons who came up under uh, as not wealthy under Thatcherism, she was violently anti-Thatcher. In a story called The Quick Birth, she recalled the experience of giving birth to her first child, who was born prematurely, but who survived thanks to the dedicated National Health Service staff. Um, so she's a lifetime supporter of the NHS. Uh, in 2009, in a Guardian interview with Alice Clark, she described herself as a, quote, passionate socialist who had no time for new labor. Uh, the journalist Christina Patterson observed of Townsend, quote, her heart, it's clear from her books, and a few hours in her company is still with the people she left behind, the people who go largely unchronicled in literature, the people who are still her friends. Mm. She sounds like a very interesting person, and I might even be uh, interested in picking up a book by her. Maybe maybe not Adrian Mole, but something else. Well, you can borrow Adrian Mole at any time, Toby, until I put it out on the street for someone to pick up. But that's my favorite place to get books. <laughs> Um, great facts, Toby. Thank you. The Adrian Mole Diaries by Sue Townsend. Three stars. All right. Well, Andrew, do you have a game for us? I do. Yay. 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 Do you want to play a game? Yay. Uh, not really. Yes. Okay. Toby's out. <laughs> so the game this week is Whack-A-Mole. I have my mallet. Good. You'll need it. <laughs> you sure not Whack-A-Mole? <laughs> oh, Okay, yeah. Barack-a-mole. <laughs> Here's how the game is going to work. I'm sure you already know how to play. I am going to list different types of moles. <laughs> when you hear one that you think is a real type of mole, say whack. Okay. Mm. And the way we're going to keep you from saying whack every time is you have to let me read all three options first. There's going to be three options per question. Then I'm going to start the list over again without pausing. Mm. Mm -hmm. You say whack when you think there's the real one. But if you say it and you get it wrong, you cannot answer again that round. Okay. I have a question. Yes. In each trio, is there one guaranteed real mole or are there sets of three with no real mole? That's an excellent question, Toby. There is always at least one. Ooh. At least. Real mole. There are some that have multiple real moles. There are seven questions. First to four wins or whoever has the most at the end. Okay, copy. All right, I'm going. And if you guys can't catch me, you're the mole. All right, here we go. <laughs> wow, that's hurtful. Number one, hairy-tailed mole. Three-fingered mole. John's golden mole. Hairy-tailed mole. Three-fingered mole. John's what? golden mole. That is incorrect. Neither of you can answer. <laughs> 
<laughs> John's golden mole is not a real kind Aww. of mole. Uh, the hairy-tailed mole is the correct option wow. there. That would be my last guess out of all those, I would say. Because I know there's a three-toed sloth, so I was like, maybe that's the robot. <laughs> Zero points all around. But hey, you're getting used to you know what makes a real mole and what makes a fake mole. You're going to get better. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. All right, here's number two. Felicia's golden mole. <laughs> Van Sill's golden mole. <laughs> Stool barge's golden mole. Felicia's golden mole. Van Whack. Sill's golden mole. Bailey is correct. Yay! That is the correct. I was sure it was the third one. <laughs> you thought it was Stoolbar? Mm-hmm. Michael Stoolbar got a mole named after That's him? what I, I was like. I that's Michael Stoolbar. I don't even know who that is. He's um in the serious man. A serious man. He's oh, like, yeah. see, it would help if I knew that name. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that is one point for Bailey. Congratulations. Moving on to question number three. Button-nosed mole, knife-nosed mole, <laughs> star-nosed mole, button-nosed mole, knife-nosed mole, star-nosed mole. Toby was first there. That is correct. The star-nosed mole is a real type of mole. It's the one with the creepy, creepy yeah. nose. Have you ever seen one I of I think those? it's pretty. No, and I want to Google it. Oh. oh, they're crazy looking. Yeah. And by crazy looking, I mean pretty. Doesn't look like an evil alien tentacle at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's tied up. That's exciting. Okay. One point for Bailey, one point for Toby. And we are moving on to question four. We're over halfway there. <gasps> Robust golden mole. <laughs> Cotton tot golden mole. Marley's golden mole. Robust Whack. golden mole. That is correct, Bill. Oh, I was going to say it. No. Here's the secret to this one. All three of those are real moles. <gasps> What was it? The robust golden mole, the hot and tot golden mole, and Marley's golden mole. All real. So many golden moles. Yeah. Yeah. An entire half of the list I was looking at had golden in it, which was bizarre. But not John's golden mole. Are they actually golden, or is it one of those lame naming conventions where they're like, sometimes their hair is a little bit blonde, so we call it the golden mole. No, it just means it's really important to them. (laughs) I mean, sometimes we don't know the answer to questions. (laughs) All right. You ready for question number five? Bailey is back up. Two to one. Jordan mole. Kobe mole. Iverson's mole, Jordan mole, Kobe mole, Iverson's mole. You guys are both incorrect. This time we're talking about LA, baby. RIP, it's Kobe mole. It is a subspecies of Japanese moles. Oh, Toby, you're digging yourself into a hole here, so. (laughs) I feel like I'm blind. You guys are on fire with the mole-based knowledge. You guys know more about moles than I was expecting. I'm not going to lie. I'm thinking more about mole-based puns (laughs) than than I am about the game, maybe. We'll just write them down in your moleskin diary. (laughs) So, Bailey is up two to one. There's only two questions left. So, if Bailey gets this right, she automatically wins. Toby still has a chance, but he needs to get this question correct. He has to get a mole in one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right, this one's pretty tough. Okay. Number six. Large mole. (laughs) Long-nosed mole. Short-nosed mole. Large mole. (laughs) I heard Toby first on that, and that is correct. Guess what? All of those were correct. <laughs> that was from a category I created called basic named moles. <laughs> All 
But I'm glad it means we're tied two to two going into the final question. And there are some real humdingers on this one. Who will be our mole champion? <laughs> Equivalent teeth shrew mole. Inquisitive shrew mole. Snow-bellied shrew mole. Equivalent Just teeth whack. shrew mole. Toby has won the game. <gasps> yeah! He is king of moles. Equivalent <laughs> teeth mole is real. I thought it was snow belly. Inquisitive shrew mole is real. Snow belly is the only one that is fake. Oh! Don't try to molify me. <laughs> that was not bad. <laughs> Yay, good job, Toby. Yeah. King mole. Congratulations. King mole. King of the moles. I hope you had fun. Thank you. Whacking moles. I mean, you're wearing a red wall t-shirt right now, so I feel yeah, like I was it would go say, with that. I, I'm happy to be king of the moles, although they're more egalitarian. They probably have a democratic system. True, true. All right. Uh, awesome. Good job, Toby. Now is the time on the podcast where we choose books at random from our shelves. However, again. However. It's the choosing. It's the choosing. No, 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 no. It's half the choosing. The choosing. Just one choosing. So next week, we'll be discussing Pit and Nancy uh, by Suzanne and Clark. Yep. All four of us will have read it by then. Andrew definitely will have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't put that evil on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Andrew. I'm ready. We'll have number 50, Luster by Raven Lilani. Ooh. Oh. What, what's that a book, Andrew? So I don't know what this is a book. Um, <laughs> so this is... <laughs> So this is a book that actually was from my big like drop of shame last episode. So this is maybe the quickest turnaround I've had on a um, new book being put on the list. Few friends who I really respect all in a row got it on Goodreads, rated it five stars and like we're raving about it. But I like haven't had time to look through it to know really what it's about. Um, I believe it is a British author and she's a younger woman but I don't know anything else about the plot. Awesome. Well, that's very exciting. Um, so in two weeks, Piranesi by Susanna Clark. Be there or be Piranesi. Or be trapped no in spoilings. a place. I mean, it's on the jacket. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the to read list podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the to read list podcast and on Instagram at the to read list podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please uh, dig your way to Moltoons. Uh, give us five uh, digging claws out of five digging claws. Uh, for real, though, please write us five stars on uh, iTunes. Write a review if you feel so moved or any other podcatcher of your choice. It helps us so much. Uh, makes us feel good. And it helps more people discover the podcast. You mean five star nosed moles? Oh, it was right <laughs> there for you, Toby. Go, you know what, Dylan? Dylan just gets to sit. He gets to sit there. He's not even, like some producers Google stuff. He does that like maybe once every three episodes. He just gets to sit there and pick up the jokes that we don't get. Keep that in, Dylan. And- <laughs> And also, if you want to help spread the word about the podcast, our best way of reaching new people is word of mouth. So if you're already talking to your friends about your favorite kind of mole, (laughs) why not throw in your favorite podcast, which might be us and might not be. But hopefully we're like at least in the top, you know, 10 and you can tell a friend or two. Thank you. Humblest podcast in the biz. (laughs) (laughs) We're not your favorite. We know. Guys, we know. Hopefully top 10 at least. We're not your favorite podcast. We're just happy to be in the rotation. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, 
and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, books, books. books, books. books. Moles, moles, moles.